0: Good morning, y'all. Good morning. Yeah, thank you, uh, Pastor Landon, for mentioning that. We've had a heck of a year and a half. And, um, you know, sometimes it's just part of life, the trials we go through. It's just these human bodies, they're frail. We know that um, our, our outer man is decaying, the Bible says. Our inner man is being renewed every day. So take heart when you have health issues. And, uh, boy, it's been crazy these last uh, couple years. Anyway, we are in Matthew 26. I'm excited to pick up from where uh, Landon left off last week. And it's a very important part of Scripture. The narrative now, as we get toward the end of the Gospel of Matthew, as we go verse by verse through this, um, the death and sufferings of Christ are more detailed in the Gospels and fully recorded than any other part of Jesus and his history, really. Um, the year of the redeemed... Had arrived. The 70 weeks determined from uh, the book of Daniel, they were now accomplished. When transgression must be finished, reconciliation made, and everlasting righteousness brought in by the cutting off of the Messiah, the Prince. And you can read about that in Daniel chapter 9. But today's message in uh, chapter 26 of Matthew consists of four parts, and we can get them up there Um, preliminaries to Christ's sufferings, and number one, the previous notice given by him to his disciples. He predicted in detail his sufferings, and we'll get to that a little bit later, the who, what, where, when, why, and how. Jesus said everything. Something coming up when we uh, read the first couple verses in Matthew 26 that I really... I've read it dozens and dozens and dozens of times in my Christian life, but it popped out at me even more so preparing for this. I saw something, I'll let you know what that is in a minute. Number two, the ruler's conspiracy against Jesus. They were plotting and planning from his first, actually his first couple miracles, and when he uh, came into the temple and and, uh, overturned the tables of the money changers and get out of my house, get out of my father's house, you've made it a den of thieves. Um, they were jealous, and so they plotted against him. Number three, the anointing of Jesus. And that's where we'll spend most of our time this morning uh, of Jesus at a supper in Bethany. And number four, Judas, his betrayal, the bargain he made with hell. The covenant with hell with the priests. And we'll we'll just go through the first 16 verses, and uh, Pastor Landon will take it from there. But the stage is being set. All the players have fallen into place, and God's timing is perfect, and it's working itself out. That one uh, worship song we did this morning, there's a line in there, something about the God who is never late, and we're going to see that here. And the, the life and the plan of Jesus, but we can also take to heart in our own lives. We pray, we go through trials, we are waiting. Our clock is not the same as God's clock, is it? But we know He may wait. The answer may be yes, no, wait, but God is never late. And His His plan is being set up here. So the time is drawing near for Jesus to offer himself and to die, to be crucified. Shockingly, he predicts his sufferings are right at the door of history. Now, as he uh, kicks off this chapter, if we kick off this chapter, he's talking to his disciples. He said, now, this is what I was going to get to. He said it was going to happen in two days. It's as if I was going to stand up here and say, all right, my brothers and sisters, Tuesday, I'm going to be arrested there's going to be a trial. They're going to lie about me, false accusations, but they're going to buy it, and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be sent to the electric chair Wednesday. No waiting for months or years in jail for a, for a trial, for an appeal. I'm going to, going to be killed Tuesday. That's essentially uh, what, in modern-day terms, what Jesus was laying out here again to his disciples. But this time, he said in two days, So, remember, all these events had been foreordained, foreseen by God, foreordained from eternity. And he knowingly offered himself as the word that became flesh and gave himself for us. So he gave his life as a ransom. So let's go with the first part, the prophecy. Matthew 26, verses 1 and 2. Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. When Jesus finished all these sayings. What sayings? Well, Pastor Landon went through that. If you missed last week's sermon, I encourage you to go there. But I just want to read the last couple, because we're all about context here. The last couple of verses right before Matthew 26, Matthew 25 Then they, verse 44, then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Verse 45, then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. So he ends what these sayings that Jesus was teaching about judgment, eternal judgment and eternal life. So then that brings us into what we just read. Now it came to pass, Jesus finished those sayings, and now he's reminding them again, I'm going to give myself up and I will be crucified. So Jesus warned the multitudes about the corrupt religious leaders, and he spoke to his disciples about things to come often in the Gospels, in many of his teachings. It was time for him to fulfill his work on the cross. And, boy, if you read um, the end of every Gospel, if you read Isaiah 53, if you read Psalm 22, some of the descriptions of the brutality of the Roman crucifixion, of the torturing that Jesus went through, When we go through some of the stuff we do in our lives, it helps us put it into perspective. We can be comforted because of what Jesus went through for us. He endured it. Having instructed his disciples and the Jews. I think I have this. See, there it is. Having instructed his disciples and the Jews by his many teachings, edified them by his example, convinced them by his miracles, he now prepares to redeem them by his blood. And we just celebrated communion, that redemption that Jesus provides. And Jesus refuted. Now, a lot of them believed that they were going to have a political messiah, someone that was come and it was gonna, he was going to take power and take over Rome and just start r- ruling things. That's how a lot of them saw it. Jesus, again, refuted the erroneous idea that It was impossible that the Messiah should suffer, let alone die. So Jesus again refuted that idea. As it says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed for us. And we can celebrate that whenever we come together with the body of Christ, with the the bread and the wine. So, after two days is the Passover Jesus said. He alone knew the true meaning of Passover, right? The Pesach, the Passover that he was the paschal lamb whose blood was to provide a shelter from the judgment of God for all who put their trust in him. But how about the religious leaders? How about the chief priests? How about the Pharisees? How about the hypocrites who he called snakes, hypocrites, brood of vipers? How about them? Their their zeal was for traditions, the traditions of man. Their zeal was for their religion and not for God. They they felt threatened by Jesus' teachings. And they, they were willing, as we'll see in a minute, we'll be reminded that they were willing to go to any length to remove him from the scene. They just wanted him out of there. So the plot, this is the second part of Today's message, Matthew 26, 3 through 5. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Let's stop right there. First, notice where they gathered. At the palace of the high priest, they're plotting evil. They're plotting the murder, the execution of the arrest, the false accusation, the the arrest, the murder, and execution of somebody at the palace of the high priest. That's where they plotted this thing. Um, I just found that to be very interesting. Caiaphas likely controlled the temple. So he was probably pretty ticked off when Jesus went in and cleansed the temple of all the money changers and all the, they're making money and they're selling things, the buying and the selling, making God's house a marketplace. So Caiaphas was probably more uh, affected by that than some of the other religious leaders. But it's interesting that, and he probably had a nice arrangement with Rome, uh, but it's interesting that every time he appears in Scripture, he's seeking Jesus' destruction. Every time he's mentioned. And it's almost like his hatred of Jesus was intensely personal, and we can read into that a little bit, but we don't need to. We're not here to speculate. But that's, these are just some interesting observations. Also, the use of the words here, assembled and plotted, kind of gives you that, uh, the idea of the scheming, right? And they're doing this you know, all around Jesus. It's suggestive, though, and I want you to turn here. Actually, no, I think I have Psalm 31. I want you to just read the words up there with me. It, it's, it's very similar to this. Uh, and plus, there's a phrase quoted by Jesus on the cross. Um, that might be too small for you. Maybe. Oh, maybe not. So let me just read that with you. These are some verses from Psalm 31, based on what Jesus is going through and the context that we're in here. Check this out. Verse 3 For you are my rock and my. Fo-. By the way, this psalm applies to the lesser David, meaning uh, David, <laughs> who actually wrote it, and the greater David, the root of David, the Messiah, Jesus. So it can apply to both of them. For you are my rock and my fortress, therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net, which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Remember when Jesus said that on the cross. That's complete trust and reliance on the Father. lost my place. You, You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. I have hated those who regard useless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I am forgotten like a dead man, out of mind. I am like a broken vessel, for I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. But... As for me, as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. So we jump we 3 through 6, and then we jump to verses 12 through 15. That whole psalm, though, 31, check that out if you have some time later on. Actually, actually don't, don't wait until if you have time. Take the time to check that out. And as Landon said, Hebrews 7. Um, so can we not say, there's a verse that I love, because God is, either God is sovereign and, and in control of all events, circumstances, and, and things in our life, or he's not sovereign. If he is sovereign then we can be at peace and we can trust him. So, verse 15, we can all say this to God. My times are in your hand. My life is in your hands, O Lord. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies. My life is in your hands. I trust in you. So, according to Josephus, Jewish historian in uh, Antiquities, here's a quote. It says, about two years after our Lord's crucifixion, Caiaphas and Pilate, this is interesting, just two years after Jesus was crucified and then ascended to heaven, two years after, Caiaphas and Pilate were both deposed by Vitellius, then governor of Syria, and afterwards became emperor. Caiaphas, a lot of people believe that because he was unable to bear this disgrace and the stings of his conscience, maybe, for the murder of Christ, he killed himself. He took his own life about uh, A.D. 35, about a, a year or two after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. So we, we only know what we read here about Caiaphas, but Josephus and other historians give us a little bit more about that picture. I just find that to be interesting. Th- maybe guilt drove him, maybe the humiliation of being um, deposed, who knows? But I just thought that was really interesting. Now, Matthew 26, verse 4 when they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar. Interesting how it happened. But they didn't want to put Jesus to death during Passover because all the people, a lot of people thought, remember just a week before, he came into town as the Messiah riding on a donkey from the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley, through the Eastern Gate, and they were yelling, Hosanna! And Jesus permitted them to worship him for the first time he received their worship. That is the first coming of the Messiah on what we consider Palm Sunday. So that happened. So I just find that to be an interesting thing that kind of leads up to this. The point is it was God's time. Passover or not. And they didn't want it to happen during Passover. Guess what God said? It's happening, and all people, from all the visitors, all people from all over the place are going to be in Jerusalem to witness this spectacle. Just find that to be interesting. Man had their plan, their evil plans and their plot, and their scheme to do it that way, but God had already foreordained it his way, right? This is another indication here that uh, Jesus was in complete control of these events and gave himself up as a ransom for many. And in fact, um, <laughs> they just they killed him on the very day they tried to avoid it all happening. But it's interesting another note here if Galatians 1:10 talks about uh, Paul saying, um, if I were still seeking the approval of man, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Galatians 1:10. Uh, the religious leaders weren't worried apparently about offending God, they were afraid of the people popularity. What will people think? Right? If this guy rises up in power, I mean, his miracles, obviously, this man, a lot of them thought, well, only God could do these kind of miracles. But they were threatened by him. So, well, let's kill him just so there's no confusion. We want our temple. We want our religion. This is a threat to us. So they were afraid of the people. The chief concern was their safety rather than God's honor. So here, Now, it's refreshing in Matthew 26 here to turn our attention away from the hypocrites and the scheming murderers to a very beautiful account of devotion to the Lord, the anointing. Verse 6, "'And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table.' But when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it, For my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Interesting, huh? So here's the scene. First of all, the other gospels. John tells us she anointed Jesus' feet as well. Matthew and Mark mentioned the anointing of his head. To her, there was nothing too precious for Jesus. This was very expensive oil and perfume. We know from John's gospel also that this woman was Mary, in fact, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. Mary Magdalene, basically Mary of Magdala. Luke tells us Mary was one of those who sat at Jesus' feet as he taught. That's in Luke 10, 39. And that she was the one who made this extravagant display of devotion. Um, John 12, 1 through 11 Sets this up as well. It talks about the same thing. A couple extra details. I'll just read this um, quickly. You don't have to turn there. But you can mark it later if you want to go and reread this. Uh, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, was there. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Now remember, he was dead. Then Mary took a pound of very costly spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of the disciples... See, Matthew doesn't say this. One of the disciples, it was Judas. Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Then he, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. So pause right there. Judas was stealing from the ministry. And it's interesting, how much money did they have that they didn't know the money was missing? <laughs> was Judas the only one to handle the money? Because evidently there was enough in there that Judas was t- helping himself to the money. He was stealing from the ministry. Guess where his heart was? The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And the one whose heart was set on this world's riches ended up betraying the king of kings. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for my day of burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but me you do not always have. Now, verse 9, and I'm in John 12. We'll go back to Matthew 26. Verse 9 says, now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, so they came. Not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus. Why? Whom he raised from the dead. There was no mistaking. There was mourners, professional mourners, outside the tomb of Lazarus. Four days he was in the tomb. He was dead. Right? Four days. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. So more people, this this was a spectacle. You you know news traveled fast on that miracle, let alone all the other miracles that Jesus did. But this was a major sign. So they're all now, a lot of them came to this supper. Why? Because Jesus, of course, but they knew Lazarus was there too. They just wanted to see him. Man, you were dead four days. (laughs) You know, what was that like? (laughs) So... Um, because whom he raised from the dead, verse 10, but the chief priests, then guess what? Here, uh, they plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Why? Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Because Lazarus was there. You can't deny. There were possibly dozens, if not hundreds of eyewitnesses that saw Lazarus dead. Maybe they went to his funeral. Then he's in the tomb four days. And then there were people there, mourners, that when he came out of the tomb. So here he is, eating supper with Jesus, right? So now back to uh, uh, Matthew 26. Um, Matthew, Mark, and John, by the way, seem to record one occasion of Jesus anointing at Bethany. But Luke records a separate event of the anointing of Jesus in Galilee. I just thought that was interesting. Uh, Simon the leper, let's talk about him, probably uh, most suggest that he was one who was miraculously healed of, of leprosy, cleansed by our Lord Jesus, right? So now he's hosting a party, hosting supper. If he were still a leper, chances are he wouldn't be hosting a party, right? People wouldn't be around him. So uh, we don't know a lot about him, but he was probably a well-known local figure, but his nickname, interesting, Simon the leper, that's, that's, it's going to be with him forever, right, in heaven. Hey, so you're Simon the leper. You hosted the dinner for Jesus, the supper at La- with Lazarus and Mary and Martha and when Jesus was anointed. You're Simon the leper. That's going to follow him around forever. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. It, the nickname remained maybe as a reminder of his former disease. Because interesting, whenever you hear Simon the leper, you look at him and go, well your skin looks like baby flesh what do you mean leper jesus healed me jesus cleansed me so that's another testimony for christ just these called simon the leper for the rest of his days on earth so let's look at the the phrase why this waste the disciples criticized we don't know how many of them maybe a couple the disciples criticized mary's display of love and honor to jesus but Jesus go, seems to go out of his way to rebuke the complainers and to vindicate Mary of Magdala. Specifically, the critic was Judas, who John's gospel just told us. But Jesus defended Mary as an example of someone who simply did a good work for him. But what else can we take from that? Notice what they call waste, Jesus calls a beautiful thing. Is anything wasted when it's all given to Jesus in our lives? The answer is no. Is anything wasted when we offer it, when we give it to the Lord? So, oh good, thank you for being on top of this, uh, Jedediah, with these slides. Nothing we give in devotion and honor to Christ should be considered wasteful. We might not see the immediate results, but it's never a waste Time spent serving him and his church. Our gifts, talents that we use to bring honor to his name, to point people to him, to share the gospel, whatever your gifts and your talents are. Encouragement, serving, teaching, whatever it might be. Um, Then treasure, time, talents, treasure. Our finances, what we give to the Lord from a cheerful heart. So nothing is too great to give to him. Why? Why? He gave everything to you and I, didn't he? Right? So, in the great chapter on the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, don't turn there, I just have one verse I want to share with you. The the chapter on the resurrection and our glorified bodies, and talk about one of the most powerful chapters in the Bible. Paul writes this at the very end. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast... Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Another translation says your labor in the Lord is never in vain. And then there's another scripture that I have up on the screen here. Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time, remember God's timing is perfect, And ours, we're just guessing. (laughs) We're on a human clock. He's got the whole thing mapped out from beginning to end. In due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. Or another translation, if you faint not. So then, verse 10, while you have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Do good to all people, saints and sinners, saved and unsaved, but to the family in Christ, our brothers and sisters, especially do good to our brothers and sisters. We need encouragement. Sometimes we need to be reminded of the hope that we have in Christ that is an anchor to our soul. We go through these hills and valleys in life, and that's just human life. The trials we go through, the testings, So be encouraged and use your gifts to serve one another, to always, especially to the body of Christ, especially brothers and sisters, even if they don't appear on the outside to need something, we all struggle. We all go through temptations, trials, tests, right? Um, Some of us are less vulnerable (laughs) than others, and that's why it's fellowship and the body of Christ is so wonderful because we should be able to understand we're in a safe place and we can share our burdens what does galatians also say bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of christ when you're bearing another's burdens you're fulfilling the law to love your neighbor as yourself all right um so i want to go back to this you have the poor with you always jesus said there's poor today there was poor, poor people during his time. There will always be people to minister to. There will always be people in need. There is probably never a time where you couldn't find someone to help or someone in need if you really just kind of turned your head or opened your eyes or looked. Sometimes we just get so busy and focused on our lives and what we're doing and what our schedules are and our busyness and everything that we're involved in. And that's when we need to really take time and back up, slow down, and say, God, I'm, uh, I, was, I was about to have a pity party and feel sorry for myself because I'm kind of discouraged right now, but show me someone I can minister to. And he will use you. He will probably answer that prayer every time. No? I think so. Um, Jesus did not say this about the poor to discourage generosity. He did not say this to discourage the kind treatment of the poor. He pointed to the appropriate nature of that moment Of Mary anointing him to honor him in that extravagant way and to worship Jesus as you know as believers in Christ isn't that one of our highest priorities on earth it's not just on a Sunday morning it's Monday through Saturday it's 24 7 it's not just when the worship team is up there singing songs and leading us our worship I was talking to Sam we both uh, hit the restroom before service I say we can worship him in here because we were missing a song um, I said, we can worship him. It's, it's wherever you go. It's, it's your attitude. It's the attitude of the heart. We can worship him everywhere in your car, anywhere you go, right? We worship him in spirit and in truth. And it's not just on Sunday morning. So it's all for Christ. And we should heed Mary's example. I'm going to remind you of this several times, a couple more times before the end of the message, to give Jesus our very best. I know I could do better in a couple areas of my life. Whether that's my time, talents, or treasure, I could do better. And this is not to lay a guilt trip, but just if the Holy Spirit's working on you, be convicted. Okay? You know, I don't know what's going on. I, you know, I don't live with you. I don't see you every day. But God knows. And give Him whatever you can. Is Christ Himself so real And so precious to us that we're ready to make any sacrifice in order to show our devotion to him I think I have that up there he's real he's with us holy spirit we have his presence he said he will never leave us or forsake us so is he so real and so precious to us that we're willing to give him our all in your life today what is the first thing that comes to mind? Lord, I know I could probably do a little bit better in this area. Pray about that. Whatever he just dropped into your spirit when you thought about that. What else or what more can I give you, Lord? I've been slacking. I've been too busy. I've been taking care of number one. Number one. No, we need to be about Jesus. And I'm saying this I'm, I'm pointing out here, but I've got three fingers pointed back at me. Right? When I point out at you, three fingers are pointing back at me. I can give more. I can do more. I can manage my time better in other areas, okay? So this line, she did it from my burial. Interesting. Kings were anointed. Priests were anointed. These both would have been true about Jesus. Yet he claimed, listen to this, he wasn't anointed for service. He wasn't anointed for recognition. What did he say? She's anointing me from my burial. Wow. Now, most theologians suggest that she probably had no clue. She was just giving Jesus her all, but she probably didn't fully understand what she was doing. <laughs> you know, I mean, because of the resurrection, I mean, he was gone, right? You anoint him before he died. You know, <laughs> Basically, God had this all set up. And Jesus said, she's anointing me for my burial. Um. God moved her heart. God moved her heart to perform this symbolic act. Why do we know God did it? Jesus pointed her out, vindicated her, defended her, and he took it another step up. He said what she did, everyone's going to know about it. And we know about it, (laughs) right? Everyone that reads this book knows about what Mary did, and that's an example. Mary of Magdala. So the body she anoints, The body she anointed was as good as dead. Why? The foreordained plan. Jesus was going to give himself. He was going to lay down his life as a ransom for many. He knew it. Remember the, the anguish he had in the Garden of Gethsemane hours before he went on trial, before they arrested him? He knew it. He was... God in the flesh. He was fully God and fully man, the God-man. So he had that anguish that was actually a medical condition, knowing what he was going to go through in detail, the torture, the crucifixion. And his sweat appeared to one, of the, one or two of the gospel writers as drops of blood falling to the ground. <laughs> That's not an exaggeration. That is an actual medical condition some people have because their pores enlarge. Stress causes the pores to enlarge and actually it's not just sweat but blood can come out. So that is what Jesus was ready for. He was getting prepared for here. So she anointed him for burial. Um, The embalming of his body was done before to show that he was still the Messiah To show that what we obviously know now, death didn't win, did it? Back to 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He always causes us to triumph in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, that's toward the end there. After it talks about the resurrected body. Because we get those too. These tents will be gone. They'll be in the ground. We get new bodies. We're excited. I'm excited about that too. So what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. This promise was guaranteed, of course, by her inclusion in the New Testament. This act of faith was, and her, the act of love was so remarkable that what Jesus just said guaranteed that future preachers and teachers would mention Mary in this favorable light as an example to us to give Jesus something we value, something we think is, wow, this is a lot, but Lord, I'm giving it to you. It inspired the writers and the teachers through history. Um, The story of the death of Christ, the gospel, glad tidings, when that is told, what Mary did would be told as well. And it would be preached to the whole world. So this is interesting. I think I have this in a slide here. The memorial of this woman was to be preserved, but uh, no, I don't have that. Sorry. Let me just explain this. Some people, when they do something, you want to make someone a saint, you want to make and then that person becomes an idol, and you, you build them a statue in and in a building, we go worship Mary of Magdala. You know? No, 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 that's not what Jesus was doing, but that's what man does, right? We elevate people. The memorial of this woman was to be preserved not by uh, dedicating a church to her or keeping an annual feast in her name in honor of her, preserving a piece of, of the broken alabaster uh, box, maybe preserving that and putting that on an altar, but by simply mentioning her faith and her love when the gospel is preached. That's what Jesus set up, right? We have to keep that in perspective because, boy, we like to honor people. For, and people should be recognized and there are examples examples of, of Christians that do amazing things for God but anyway by this honor comes back to Christ himself. why because the gospel is preached and Mary's example of giving something so costly to Jesus it just works around and just it encourages us to be willing to give. Uh, to Jesus, to admire Jesus, to honor him. Now that quote from Charles Spurgeon that you have up there, it says, All those who have done wonders for Christ have always been called eccentric and fanatical. It was quite an unheard of thing to preach in the open air at one time. And he's referring to George Whitefield. Whitefield was thought to be doing something outrageous when he went out in the field and set up a little box or a stage and preached But people came, right? Back to the quote. He said, it was said to be doing something outrageous, but he went and did it. And what became of it? Whitfield going out in the fields and preaching? A revival of godliness and a mighty spread of religion. I wish we were all of us ready to do some extraordinary thing for Christ. Willing to be laughed at. To be called fanatics. To be scandalized because we went out of the common way. Charles Spurgeon now let's go to the next section here verse 6 the betrayal then one of the twel- the 12 called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you and they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver so from that time he sought opportunity to betray him so <laughs> I just find this to almost like the first scene in the chapter and then the second scene, and then we're now in a new scene. Immediately after the instance of one of the greatest kindnesses done to Christ follows an instance of one of the greatest unkindness, unkind acts. What could be lower than this agreement here with Judas that he made with the chief priest to betray Christ? Wasn't Judas one of the twelve? Wasn't he with Jesus for three years? Didn't he see the signs? Didn't he observe his, uh, absorb or observe his teachings, how he dealt with people? He knew he was, he had to do he was Messiah, no? Judas was with him three years. Yes, there were 12 disciples. That was Jesus' inner circle. But as Jesus himself said in one of the Gospels, one of you is a devil. And we know, hindsight, we know it was Judas. We know which one was a devil. That's, that's what Jesus said. Um, the 12 were Christ's chosen friends. I find that to be interesting, too. You don't think Jesus knew what was going to happen when he chose each one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the others, Simon, Judas? He knew, but he loved Judas anyway. He taught Judas anyway. He knew the whole time Judas was stealing money out of the ministry bag. He knew that. Just, just interesting when you, when you understand Jesus chose each one of those men specifically they had this privilege and special favor of being his closest and constant followers they had the benefit of some of the most intimate conversations amazing I I, that's how Judas heart must have been so bent on on evil Um, of all people you know the disciples had reason to love him and and uh, know who he was and support him but the the sense we get from Matthew's Gospel here is the matter with Mary seemed to be maybe the final straw for Judas. She gave all, remember, he was keeper of the money bag. He knew how much that expensive and costly uh, jar of perfume was. Judas knew, right? That seemed to be something that just flipped in his mind, maybe in his heart, saying, all right, that's it. What a waste. I'm, I'm going to go turn him in. Um, sad but that's the way as God would have it that's the way it played out also I want to just mention one thing without saying this is, this is what you, you, we don't know all the details but there's a lot of speculation about Judas and his motives Right? we don't know for sure we only know what we read we can pray for the Holy Spirit to, to open up the scriptures and guide us through that we know money was an issue with him the love of money probably We don't know what else. Uh, Some people say that maybe Judas really wanted that political Messiah, that guy to to come and take over power. But when he understood maybe that Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified. And Jesus maybe threw his hands up and said, all right, I might as well go to the priests and betray him and let this happen. This isn't our guy. Who, I don't know. We don't know for sure, but that's something you can kind of Look in a little bit into what these uh, scriptures are, are saying here. Um, so a little bit, a little bit of speculation based on what we know from scripture, but um, he, he may, Jesus may not have been the type of Messiah that Judas wanted. So whatever the specific reason, um, the scriptures present no sense of reluctance in Ju- Judas. Right? He wasn't reluctantly going to the chief priest to betray Jesus. It was greed. That was one obvious motivation. And these words stand forever in the Word of God, which is eternal and lasts forever. The Word does. What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? Judas is immortalized by these words. What are you willing to give me? How much can I get for him? According to the Bible, there wasn't a noble intention in Judas' heart. His motive was money. His price wasn't very high, though, which is interesting. And the Jews certainly received a bargain, 30 pieces of silver for what they did. You think about it. It was worth, I, I think oh, uh, it was around $25 maybe to us today. But it was a known set Price for a slave, it tells us in Exodus 21:31, uh, 30 pieces of silver. So it wasn't necessarily hatred of his master. There was no, no quarrel that we are aware of between Judas and Jesus, but purely his love for money and nothing else. Um, he betrayed the shepherd of Israel in a covenant he made with murderers and with hell, as I said before. But it fulfilled Zechariah's prophecy. Check out Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13. It's up on the screen. Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages, 30 pieces of silver, and the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and I threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. And you know what did the Gospels say? That when Judas uh, th- threw the money back, they used that to buy a field, and it was called the potter's field. Fulfillment of Scripture, Zechariah 11, 12, and 13. Isn't that fascinating? And these men, that they had no idea. Judas didn't know he was fulfilling Scripture. Or, uh, just interesting. So Judas was the likeliest person, and God knew it. Um, For the chief priests to get to Jesus, remember all the crowds of people, by this time, three years of his ministry, miracles, feeding thousands and thousands and thousands, one of the roles when they went out in public, one of the roles of the disciples was crowd control. right? So that's one of the reasons the chief priests said, all right, we got to try to find a way to do this in secret. How are we going to arrest him? How are we going to get to him? It took one from Jesus' inner circle to do that. Here's where he's going to be praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Someone who knew well Jesus' habits, patterns, where they go to pray and on what occasion, whatever. So another line, and uh, I find this to be fascinating. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. What an evil, wicked thing, right? To seek, seek opportunity. I mean, sin will find you. Temptation will find you, right? We don't have to go seek it out. But here Judas kind of became a spy. And kind of watched. He already made the determination in his heart. He's got his 30 pieces of silver. And he said, all right, now I just got to just gotta find the right opportunity to hand Jesus over. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. You don't need to go looking for evil. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, and this reinforces the state of the heart of all mankind, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's talking about the human heart. <laughs> so I've changed my vocabulary a little bit when I have a, a better understanding of the goodness of God when someone says, well, that's a good person, or he has such a good heart. I'm thinking, Ooh, only, Jesus said only God is good, and I know what, I know the, what they mean. Uh, behind when someone says, you've got a good heart. But the heart of man is wicked and evil. And this just proves it um, with all that Judas did. So it didn't happen immediately. Judas was watching. He became a spy looking for the right time late at night. He knew Jesus was going out to pray. And the interesting thing, we think Judas set this whole thing up. What has been reinforced through scriptures that this was the preordained Plan of God. It was the plan beforehand. This would happen. It would happen this way. He just put the players in place. Acts 3, 18 and 19 says, But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent, be converted, so that your sins may be blotted out. Why? So you can be refreshed from the presence of the Lord. And what happens when you're converted, when we believe? Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. We have His presence. So some takeaways from today. The players, all the pieces, They fell into place in Matthew 26 here. Pastor Landon will pick it up next week. But Jesus, interesting, get this and understand, he predicted everything. He predicted the who, what, when, where, why, and how of God's plan. He explained what the foreordained plan was. He tried to warn his disciples. He tried to tell them, "Uh, no, you guys, I'm not that kind of Messiah. I'm not here for politics. I'm not here to take over Rome. (laughs) You know? Uh, He he had to die for our sins, so they'd plot to kill him. He said that. Who would do it? How it would be done? Who would betray him? Um, When he would be arrested and handed over? And in detail, through the Gospels, he predicted exactly how he would suffer, be tortured, crucified. But he also said, on the third day, I will rise again. He also told them that. There was always always you read the buts in the Bible. He would go through all of his predictions of his sufferings in detail, and at the end he would say, but on the third day, the Son of Man will rise. So we always tried to leave them with that. Whether they grasped it at the time or not is another thing. He would rise from the dead. Mighty God. So the questions we have for us, we tend to get so preoccupied in our own lives, so busy, so thinking this is important, But what's really important, if you're a Christian, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We might live another year, another month, year, 10 years. Some of you younger people live 30, 40, 50 years. But after that, what happens? What happens after that? Okay, you die. Well, what happens after that? Well, that depends on your trust in him in this life. So is there anything too good to give to Jesus? The answer is no, of course. Is there any sacrifice too great? No. But here's the question I think we all can take home today. Is there something that you or I have been holding back a little bit when we could do it for someone else, for him to serve, or something we can give? Is there something? Remember when, we, when I asked that earlier in the message? said, whatever that first thing God put on your heart, you dropped that into your spirit, or you thought of, yeah, I know, let me do that. Get before God and say, Lord, please. I know many of us will be watching football today, but who cares? In terms of eternity, who cares? Hours of influence. If you're giving six hours to something on one day and you're here for an hour, great. But does that balance out your relationship with the Lord and what you're doing, how you're living, what you're giving for him? I don't think so. Okay? Okay. No guilt trips. Just if God is convicting you, some of you may be doing great. Some of you may be better managers of your time than I am. Um, So let's consider how we can better use our time, our giftings, our finances to serve Christ and advance His kingdom. Is that why we're here? Why else are we here as Christians? We're not here because we look good, smell good. (laughs) We're not here to save the earth, right? Read 2 Peter chapter 3. We're not here to save the earth. You recycle, you can keep recycling. I'm not against recycling. But remember why we are here. Do good to all, but especially to those who are of the family of God. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you bring to light. When we just read and and look at your scriptures and ask Holy Spirit to give us understanding. Just touch each person here today, and and I pray that you give them exactly what they need. Um, Healing, hope, encouragement, strength, um, their mind, will, emotions, Lord, spirit, soul, and body. But Father, most importantly, help us If we have kind of gotten too distracted and busy because of life on this earth, um, help us to be realigned with you and rededicate our lives to you if we need to do that and help us to just do better at serving you, at loving you so that others will be pointed to you, not so that we can look good, not so that we can be an example, but... It will point people to Jesus, and that's why we're here, and we thank you for these reminders today. We praise you for the truth, and we thank you for speaking to us through your word today. We love you, God. May we honor you with our lives. No retreat, no regrets. In Jesus' name, amen.